The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my very cool co-hosts, Nate Heininger and your brother, Shane. And this week we are talking about a game called Jet Lancer. Uh, so this is one that I have had on our list, basically queued up and ready to do an episode on for a little while. We've had some stuff like Bird Week and our bundle episode uh, that jumped up and kind of pushed this down the list a little bit. Um, this came out on May 12th, and I bought it day one because I was actually hotly anticipating this game um, because it very much reminds me of a game that I liked a lot and we covered in the first few weeks of the show, uh, Luft Rousers. Yeah, I really enjoyed Luft Rousers. At the time, it felt like a a wholly original take on kind of the flight sim. Uh, There's very few like truly free-flying air combat games that are two-dimensional like that. I, d- I think at, at the time I played Luft Rousers, that was the only one of those I'd ever played. Yeah, I definitely played some like um, mobile games at the time that had a similar perspective. I think there was one that I played a absolute ton, ton of called like, hmm, I may get this wrong, I think it was like Mini Aces or something like that, or no, Mini Squadron. I, I was I was in love with a game called Mini Squadron on the iPhone back in those days, but um, but uh, Luft Rousers was very arcadey, and it was probably the uh, the first really like arcade-ish, arcade-style game we covered on this show, um, which is why I think we ended up doing like a combo episode between that and something else. I don't even remember what it was. We're talking like way back in 2014 or something. Uh, Nate, were you on that episode? I don't remember. It's been a long time. I I was not. Uh, I have not played that game, and I didn't really know much about this game until downloaded and started playing. Uh, glad I did, though. This game was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's super fun. Um, to give you a little bit of an idea, without comparing directly to Luft Rousers, which you know you can be excused for not remembering or not having played, um, this game is a two D perspective pixel art uh, shooter. But unlike the traditional like two D shooter style, where usually you have a perspective where like the screen is scrolling either up or to the right, and and enemies are entering mostly from one side of the screen. This is a sort of a free floating uh, thing where you have like 360 degrees of movement. You can fly in any direction, shoot in on any direction, and enemies are approaching you from all directions. Um, so you're kind of, I think, a bit more sort of dogfighting uh, style uh, air combat, even though it is 2D, than, you know, more so than something like, you know, Gradius or something like that. Um, I, I think this is a little bit in the, in the lineage of games like Time Pilot. Uh, if you are uh, familiar with that from way, way, way back, the old Konami shooter that I I love Time Pilot, one of my favorite old 80s arcade games. Yeah, I think uh, the dogfighting element of this game actually was one of its most successful pieces because you can see the whole, you know, the whole ship around in front, behind, top and below, unlike most uh, 
flying games where you're just looking straight ahead. Uh, I really enjoyed the fact that you could see like a ship right behind you, you know, a plane right behind you, chasing you, tailing you, and trying to pull off those sick maneuvers that we've all seen over and over where you like slam on the brakes, let them fly over you, flip around, shoot them down, like all the the fun uh, dogfighting things that I find really challenging to do in most flight games were a lot easier to do because I could see everything. And it was really nice. That's a really good point. And it's sort of, it's sort of the same uh distinction that you know i make between why i really love 2d platformers and have an extremely hard time uh playing or enjoying 3d platformers is that sort of full 360 degree awareness right you know having not not having to deal with actual like camera control uh makes a huge difference you know being able to see both in front of and behind you uh for a pretty long distance it, it just makes an enormous difference well and comparatively speaking your your plane is really small on the screen so you really see a huge amount of space around you uh which i think is great for this sort of game where it, it you feel like you have a lot of room to play in you can see the enemies uh you have a little bit of time before they get to you uh i, I liked the overall size and and scale of how this was set up yeah totally um it also kind of i mean you were continuing to compare it back to games that are old and our listeners may or may not be familiar with Shane, you and I, when we were kids played an absolute ton of, uh, uh, escape velocity. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a great touchstone here for these, this, this little tiny genre of these multi-directional shooters where I have played a lot more shooters where you're moving like left to right in the classic shoot 'em up style. Yeah. And not that many, where you have the 360 degrees of freedom like uh, yeah and the, and the big difference is the thrust because with something like this you know with a, with a shooter you're usually just you know hit left to go left on the screen hit right to go right on the screen etc but with this game and uh i mean you know escape velocity is a bit of a specific call out because it's an old mac game and who had those and who was playing games on them back in the 90s um, but it, it, you know, to, to give you some context, it was like a top down space flight game, not a shooter in the same sense, although you did, you know, have a gun on your spaceship, um, much less sort of like frenetic than this. But, uh, the fact that you're, um, you're not just sort of moving freely around the screen, but instead you're managing thrust. So you're pointing where your ship wants to go and hitting a thrust button to, to go that direction. Um, and that gives you the freedom to like flip your ship around, you know, turn off the thrust, flip your ship around and then thrust back in the direction you're coming from and kind of do like a air brake, uh, which is a like incredibly satisfying maneuver that is really core to the movement in this game. Yeah. I think it's, it's also kind of worth pointing out that like, you know, you brought up escape velocity or EV override overdrive. Was it override? Whatever. Um, those being space games, um, means that the, the, the air combat or whatever in it is missing a key piece that this game has, which is kind of the force of gravity. As you're doing all of these different maneuvers, you also have to kind of keep yourself from dropping like a rock. So you have Mm -hmm. to be continuing to use your thrust and, and kind of darting back and forth across the, the play area. Um, in order to maintain your altitude and not hit the ground. And mm. it, it, they have like a nice mod in there that lets you automatically pull up if you're about to hit the ground. But you might find yourself turning that off as you get a little more experienced in the game because the mod slots are kind of precious. 
and you might necessarily um you might want something that's going to help you win more than just help you not die. Totally. Let's come back to talking about the the like weapons and the weapon mods because sure. those are a super important part of the game. But um, I wanted to I wanted to mention a couple of things about like where this game comes from and and everything before we get too far forward in that stuff. You know, I mentioned that this reminded me of Luftrausers. The way that I got became aware of this game was a little bit cool in that like I follow the guy who made the original Luftrausers and many other games from Vlambeer uh, on Twitter. Uh, that's Rami uh, Ismail, I think is his last name. I may be yep. getting that wrong. Anyway, um, uh, you know, he tweeted something saying, um, for those getting in touch, yes, we know about Jet Lancer and realize it looks like a colorful, over-the-top take on our minimalist game Luftrausers which is awesome. I'm extremely excited to play a colorful over-the-top game like Luftrausers, which I thought was a really cool and classy uh, way to, you know, uh, Luftrausers came out in like 20, I don't know, 13, something like that, really far back. Um, And so while cloning of games definitely is a problem, this is not a clone of Luftrausers to the extent that it feels like um, you know, actionable or a problem, really. It feels like an expansion on the concept. So um, Luftrausers has a very stark black and white perspective, black and white art style, uh, although it's sort of like, you know, two, two color art style. Um, and it has this aesthetic that I don't particularly dig. It's basically kind of like over the top pseudo Nazi imagery, which, eh, you know, I was I, I thought it was kind of cheeky and funny back in, I don't know, 2013 or whenever I played that game for the first time. Um, but today, I don't know, it, it doesn't appeal to me in the same way that it once did, uh, for maybe obvious reasons. And also, why have you stopped being a Nazi, Reagan? Well, let me let me tell you. Um, but the other thing about it is that, like, it's it's a game that I found really hard to go back to lately because it is so arcade style. You know, it is just about, like, dropping into a match or, you know, stage or whatever and playing until you can't play any longer and die and get a high score. And there are unlocks, but they're all just sort of ways to change your ship. They're not things that, for example, like make anything easier or unlock new modes of play. They're just things that kind of, well, they do unlock new modes of play to say that a different way. They're not like new levels or anything like that. It's just different types of attachments for your ship that may change the way the game plays a little bit. Um, But it's not something where it feels like a game with like, you know, uh, there's no campaign mode, for example, and there's only one type of mission. It's shoot as much stuff as you can before you die. Um, whereas this takes that same basic gameplay that was really addictive at the time and adds a campaign mode with multiple different mission types. It has a story, which we'll talk about um, that, you know, isn't great shakes exactly, but it definitely helps sort of string you along from one mission into the next. Uh, the graphics are extremely colorful and it just sort of really pops. Um, what do you guys think of the of the art style overall? Because it kind of has two. It has the art style. Well, maybe even three. It has the art style of the of the actual ship combat, the the fighting, shooting stuff. There's the 3D art style of the minimal 3D elements in the game, and then there's the portrait art. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed the art of the the core art of the game um, when you're when you're actually. Uh, playing as the you know as as the titular jet lancer i guess <laughs> yep. um and uh you know in a game like this i'm just looking for easily understandable iconography you know everything's moving pretty fast i am generally not good at these sorts of things uh identifying fast 
moving small things on a screen is not great for me. Uh, but I think this game did a pretty good job of most of the missiles or the bullets are all very big, very bright. Uh, you can see them really easily. You can tell what is a bad guy very clearly on the screen. Uh, they do good markers to, uh, indicate to you in what direction are the enemy ships coming from. Uh, I, I thought it was really nice for a game where you're mostly going to be focusing on playing and surviving and not necessarily on like, Oh wow. What is like, that's a great detail of that plane. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think they were, they were fine. Um, you know, it looks nice, but mostly I just appreciated how easy it was to understand what was going on on the screen. Yeah. The, the main thing about the, the like plane, you know, the in-game plane art is mostly just that the planes have distinct silhouettes because um, there's different types of planes, mostly that kind of yeah. have different movement styles or different AIs or different weapons. Being able to identify them really quickly helps a lot um, with just being able to uh, you know know how you need to address each plane because they come up on screen really, really quickly and you need to be able to hit them with the right kind of tactic, so to speak. Like you need to know whether you, you need to get out of the way at, or, or dodge past them and fire from behind them or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, I think the, the in-game art is really pretty attractive. The backgrounds are pretty great. Um, but the, uh, the ships themselves are simple enough, but have distinct enough profiles to like really, really work well in this style of like super fast paced gameplay. I'd like to consider these as, um, kind of the stylistic equivalent of Advance Wars. Advance Wars was a GBA game that was kind of a tactics game, but stylistically it had very bright, cartoony character designs. Um, You know, you didn't just have a tank, you had a bright orange tank. And uh, the tank had, you know, you didn't have infantry, you had little colorful anime infantry. So if there were a air combat game in the world of advanced wars, it would look a lot like this. Um, I can see that. And if I think that's fair. Yeah. If if you had like that game, then come out on something like the PS two, then it would be, that's a pretty, that would be pretty close to something like, like this game, I would think. Yeah. Um they they do just use the quote unquote 3D graphics which were pretty pretty minimal 3D graphics uh for the map. That's probably my least favorite part of the game um stylistically because there's really a single path through these levels. Like there there's it, there's no branching much at all. Maybe one or two places where you could tackle two levels in any order you like unless maybe it opens way up towards the end which I didn't get all the way through. Mm, no, I've, I've beaten the game now and I can say it, it's still, it, there are definitely a few places where you have the choice of maybe as many as three or four levels to choose from at a time, but it is essentially like, you know, the, the, the level, the levels are numbered and you kind of know like, okay, I need to go from one to two to three. I might be able to go to like four to six and then go back to five if I want, but you know, they're numbered. Yeah. It's very strange. I was pretty surprised with the, uh, overworld. My first thought was something like, uh, anodyne or uh if you played even the ocean they do that where it's you have this overworld that you're you're walking around on and selecting the levels but there's yeah there's really not much to do on the overworld except for drive your little boat 
tank around. Yeah, and it's basically just a level, level select, even though it's like it. it I, I don't think it distra- detracts from anything. It's cute. I thought it was a like a pretty attractive, but yeah. And if you want, you can pull up a list of all the levels and just pick one from there if you don't want to putter your boat around. Yeah, I, I was just surprised because of it is, you know, such an arcadey feeling game that mm. it has this little overworld that you're driving around on. Uh, I was expecting something like maybe at some point I'd get to actually uh, maybe there'd be like a ground game fight that I had to do, you know, with this uh, tank that you're or this boat tank or whatever it is that you're yeah, driving around. It's like a hover carrier uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I thought they were kind of setting up for that, uh, but... It, no. it doesn't need it. This is super, yeah, it super adds nicely simple, to the world of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and other art stuff, like, uh, I, I thought the character portraits are pretty much fine. Like, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're attractive enough. Uh, not, none of the characters really stood out at me. So like, we'll talk about the story in a little bit. The story is, uh, you know, it, it's fine. It's, it's no great shakes, but it's also like perfectly reasonable for, for stringing one shooting level <laughs> into the next. Yeah. How, how many different setups can we do for essentially the same game play over and over? Just a variety of different, uh, planes and, you know, ground, uh, assault weapons, but how can we set it up to where it's like a slightly different, uh, reason why you're fighting all of these? Yeah, things. I mean the the story as such is like you are a uh sub you know a, a tough renegade you know jet pilot on a planet that seems to be nothing but jet pilots, where it, everything is like regular people jet pilots versus sky pirates, which are a thing. And uh, your whole job is kind of roaming around shooting down sky pilots, and then of course you know, stuff happens that involves uh, giant robot bosses that you have to kill coming up out of the ocean. That's pretty much the whole story. Yeah. And there's a talking cat. Yes. So, you know, so there's that too. <laughs> That's the world we're living in. I will try to give the game credit for one thing that I thought was pretty neat though. Um, and that's that there, it does play a couple of times, not very often, but a couple of times with, uh, with storytelling stuff within the levels that I thought was actually really well done. So I'll give you a quick example. There's, um, there's this massive tower that you've seen several times throughout the game. And it's like uh, just sticking up out of the the map and you don't really know what it is. Um, And there's a scene that's like happens in a sort of, you know, visual novel style. So not like with your character present or anything, but there's a scene where you see like, your rival negotiating with a evil AI to like unlock it or something. Uh, And you don't know what actually, you know, don't don't know exactly what happens at the end of that scene, but then during the next level, which takes place during an air show. So, you know, unrelated to the previous scene, you see that massive sort of technological pillar in the background. And as you're doing this air show where you're just like shooting things down and flying around, Suddenly in the background, that tower starts to hover up out of the ground and then there's a massive explosion and suddenly you're fighting, you know, um, I forget, like robots or something. Um, And I I love that little note of storytelling happening in the background while you were doing other stuff. I kind of wish the game would do more of that because it was actually really effective when that happened. I was like, oh, man, I can see that thing in the background raising up out of the ground. And, oh, I think I know what's going on back there. And then suddenly you're fighting new stuff. It was, I thought, a really, really cool moment. It was cool. It was surprising, too, because uh, each of the levels start with very clear goals. Mm -hmm. And so you are often kind of tracking where you are in the goal um a Mm -hmm. lot of them will have a indicator on the screen whether it's like 
a high score or survive a certain amount of rounds or destroy a certain amount of, uh, you know, specific types of planes or whatever. So you're kind of constantly tracking that. And that was really interesting uh, because it completely, you know, you're in the middle of a goal and it completely changes and changes the whole thing uh, right in the middle, middle of the level. And yeah, I agree. That was an interesting point. This isn't quite as unusual as that surprise by changing the background and, and having events happen that way. But the game also does have, I thought a pretty good use of kind of chatter over the comms mm-hmm. as a way to tell stories within the levels. There's some examples that I think are pretty nice. Like there is a otherwise kind of annoying escort level where the other airplane you're escorting is a kind of a rookie pilot who's really excited and they make pretty, um, pretty good use of that kind of back and forth chatter uh, within these levels as a way to kind of keep the story happening and moving forward. And then just as important when you're playing a level for the 50th time, they allow you to skip all of it. Yeah. I really liked that. You know, you hold down a button while you're starting the level and it skips all of the dialogue before it. And if you're playing the same level multiple times and there happens to be in level dialogue, it will skip it as long as you're not playing it for the first time. So um, big plus there. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the specific mechanics of the, of the guns and the flying um, because you know, you unlock new stuff as you go in this game and you can customize your, uh, your jet Lancer, your, your, uh, your plane uh, quite a bit. Um, you start out with basically three main kind of things you can do, right? There's a, uh, uh, so mapped to the triggers, you've got thrust, uh, which is just like, you know, fly forward. Uh, or you can use a second trigger, the left trigger, to do a uh, like a boost thrust, which is uh, limited and kind of has a cooldown, but is much faster. And then you have a regular weapon, which is like a like a machine gun. And then you have a secondary weapon that is usually like uh, rockets. All of this is on, uh, or almost all of that is on the triggers. The uh, there's also a dodge roll and some other things like that that you learn that are that are mapped to buttons and all the all the buttons are very remappable. I'll say I thought the game had really good controls and the ship and the all the weapons I thought were really really nice. But while normally that would be enough for me to really like a game, I found this one sometimes falling flat for me and a lot of it had to do with how the levels were tuned. And that got a little better because there were some updates that came out as we played. But if I had just, if I hadn't known from uh, you sharing it with me that the game had had updates that addressed some of the very specific issues that I had with some of its difficulty and, and some of the gameplay um, I would have put it down frustrated and never come back to it, Um, which I may still do. Mm. Yeah, honestly, I, I was, uh, one of the reasons that we we took a while getting to this game was that when it launched, uh, it, I think it was poorly play tested, frankly, um, because the there are certain levels. Uh, there's a lot of different types of levels in this game. So, you know, things like kill X number of enemies or kill this one large boss or stay alive for X amount of time, that sort of thing. Um, but there are some levels in the game that are just a simple score attack. And um, level 15 
was a, you know, hit X score within three minutes type of level. And the score requirement was so astronomically high that when it, when the game initially launched that I can only imagine that this was only play tested by the developer or other people who were like insanely good at the game. Uh, the number was just like on the face of it, a ludicrous number that would be totally unapproachable. And it was this like weird difficulty wall that I hit right at the, you know, the first t- day I sat down to play the game, I played through the first 14 levels, no problem. And then hit level 15 and I was stuck for a while and it was so bad that I went on the Discord for this game, and literally like half of the messages on the Discord were people like, mm, I'm stuck on Op 15. Like, what? how do you get past Op 15? Some people were sharing videos of how they had done it, but it seemed like it was almost impossible to do. Tons and tons of people were stuck there. And it didn't help that the next one just after that, Op 16, was also similarly over-the-top hard. Uh, and the rest of the game, much, much easier than those two. So they they did release a patch that came out pretty quickly on the Steam version. Um, but because of, you know, consoles being what they are, took a month, didn't come out until June 1st, uh, to come out on the Nintendo Switch, which is where I was playing the game. So I pretty much just had to sit down the game and come back to it when the update was out. Uh, and that's not a great experience. Um, but, you know, if you're hearing this now and you haven't already been stuck on Jet Lancer, then this is pretty much irrelevant to you. That's been patched on all versions. Um, and I think the new score targets are much more reasonable. They were still challenging, but I, you know, I got it on like a third try after the patch. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, having not played until after the patch, uh, this game is definitely challenging at times. Uh, that one in particular, I was able to beat it within a few tries, but it was always right right within the last few seconds. I, I felt mm-hmm. like I beat a lot of these levels right as the timer was going down. Uh, I got stuck on op 22 for quite a while, uh, but was able, able to get through it. I feel like it's balanced at pretty challenging. Uh, those it, it definitely, some of them, uh, maybe it's, it's intentional. Maybe it's like a pacing thing, but it definitely feels like some of them are like, yeah, you're probably going to beat this on your first try. And then some of these, it's going to take you three, four, five, six, seven, eight tries. Maybe it was just my individual skill level, but I definitely found some I would ace no problem. And then some, it just took me forever. And I couldn't really identify any clear reason why one was more or less challenging. Yeah, it did seem pretty pretty odd. And frankly, it was I felt pretty broken at the beginning. Uh, having that patch really helped. It's uh, it's not a super long game. There are 30 regular levels and 11 boss levels. Um, and most levels take only about three minutes. Um, but if you are like me, you'll probably be playing at least half of those several times, maybe even, you know, a dozen or more times yes. on some of the really hard ones. Yeah, I, I had to replay a lot of these. And there is a uh, score system which, uh, you know, counts up how many things you destroyed, how long it took you, if you're doing any combos and, and dodges and things like that. And it gives you a rank of the the uh, the worst you can do is D minus, which I guess because uh, anything less than that and you failed the level anyway. So the worst you can do is D minus. You can go all the way up to S tier. And I found like I was either a D minus on most of the levels or I got like an S and I could not, again, I could not figure out why some levels I was able to ace and some levels I was not, but I, it took me 
multiple tries on a lot of the levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but over, you know, I kind of like that in a game. Obviously, I talk about, uh, you know, uh, challenging games are usually my thing. So I, I tend to enjoy that need to replay things over and over. Um, but I did find like sometimes it got to the point where I'm like, oh my God, I just want to beat this level and I just want to get to the next thing. The game would really benefit from some way to uh, kind of grind it out on some of these tougher levels as you progress. And I, I know that's a big design choice and probably not what they were going for, but there, it really is not a feel good in games like this when you're playing the same level over and over again and making no progress whatsoever. Um, it, 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 if the game had a lot more of the path branching and I could have gone and uh, beaten a few other levels, or if some of the levels were optional, all of that would have made it a little smoother for me. I agree. I think a larger number of levels, I'm not usually the person who's asking for that, but a slightly larger number of levels, including some you know more optional levels that would maybe let you go out and try and unlock some more of the upgrades and then come back to levels you're stuck on might have helped. Um, I really liked the upgrades, and every now and then a new upgrade would come in that totally changed the way I was playing the game. And that's one of my favorite things about this game, although I did sort of eventually settle into like a build that I mostly stuck to for the last, say, third of the game. But there's still there's still stuff I haven't unlocked because there's a new game plus. I don't know if we'll be able to talk about that. I haven't played any of the new game plus, and I don't really know exactly what's different. Um, but I know that there are a lot of unlocks and many that you don't unlock over the course of the main game that are kind of saved for for later later stuff. Um, what did you guys like end up using? What what uh, what up weapons and upgrades and everything did you guys end up going with? It was really hard for me to get away from the standard missile upgrade, which uh, you, you have a, a charge weapon. So normally uh, L1, I was also playing on uh, Switch. So the left bumper uh, will fire a single guided missile. You have four of them. They slowly recharge. But if you hold L1 or left bumper, it will charge up a weapon. And so... Uh, the base level charge weapon that you start with is a like a, a a release of like six, seven, or eight. I'm not sure how many actually of those guided missiles, and they will spread out and you know and just wreak havoc if you're swarmed by a lot of uh, planes. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, because I'm not great at these types of games, anything that's a guided missile is going to be is really helpful for me Mm -hmm. Uh, so i tended to bounce between the the swarm of guided missiles and the drones uh that you can release and they it's like three orbs that set up in a triangle and they'll shoot basic fire at anything that uh that you know enters into its range and so that was really helpful so kind of depending on what the level was if it was a whole lot of small things I would use the guided missiles if it was some sort of boss or just mini boss thing where you're taking down like individually larger things. I actually liked to take the drones and set those right on or near Mm -hmm. the, the bigger boss and they would just unload and, and make it a lot easier. I did the same thing pretty much. Like I used those drones a lot on bosses and on anything where they were like large crowds because I, I found like sometimes if there were large crowds of small enemies, um, I would get surrounded and they'd light me up and I couldn't dodge fast enough. But if I set down some drones, I could kind of 
spend some time like collecting these people on my tail and kind of fly back and forth through the area where I dropped the drones and they would all get shot up for me. So I wouldn't have to try to individually target all of them, which was, uh, which was a big help. Um, I found I was using, uh, for the special weapon, uh, I switched from the guided missiles, uh, there's uh, there's a couple others as unguided missiles, which mostly are just like they fly straight, but they have a they pack a slightly bigger punch, and also you get a higher score for using unguided versus guided weapons. The one that I used the most was the ballistic proximity charge, which is kind of like a dropping a bunch of flak that explodes on contact. Um, I found that worked really really well on bosses. It was high damage, and you didn't have to be super precise because it hit over a pretty large area. Um, and even against other planes, it, since it explodes <clears throat> when they fly near it, you didn't even have to get a direct hit. Uh, you would try and get it near them, and if they were flying past it, it would uh, uh, it would explode and hurt them. So that was pretty cool. And uh, there's a ton of the regular modules, so you get to pick one special weapon and one charge weapon. Um, I, I used a bunch of the of different ones uh, for the regular modules across the course of the game, but one thing that once I unlocked it, I used constantly was the dash module. Uh, you start the game with a dodge roll. Uh, so I forget what button it is. I actually remapped it because it was uh, not in a comfortable position for me. All the buttons are remappable, which is great. But um, you can hit this dodge roll and it you know anything that would normally hit you during this slight animation of rolling just sort of flies right past you. So planes, missiles, whatever it is. And it's pretty important even for things that you can even dodge roll through things like uh, lasers. Um, but uh, the dodge roll, I found it really hard to get timing wise right. Um, but you can replace it with one of the mods with a, basically a dodge dash that like does a, a forward, uh, sort of jump of a couple of, I don't know, uh, plane lengths. And, uh, what was really great about that was that it still had the effect that the dodge roll had and that you had some like iframes, but it also did damage. I think it was only like, I think it might've depended on things being near the rear of your plane when you do the dash, but like you could dodge through enemies and actually do damage to them, you know, with your your gun while you're coming towards them. And I think with the back of your plane, once you pass through them. Um, and so I found like dodging, uh, doing these sort of like dodge jumps past or through enemies became like a huge part of the way I played for about the last half of the game. Yeah, I played around with that for a while, too. I ultimately I use the the role, just the standard dodge roll more than the dash uh but the dash was definitely helpful and i just i really like i tend to like those upgrades uh in games like this that allow you to alter your movement um and i i did use that from time to time but i think overall i use just the standard roll more than the dad the the uh, (laughs) excuse me than the dash roll uh, but I, I really like how easy and quick you were able to switch things in this game and try different uh, builds. Game loads really fast. Uh, mm-hmm. When you lose it, you have the option to go right back to the loadout and switch your loadout. Uh, so, I yeah, I think that's one of the better parts of this game. I mean, overall, like, I think this game feels great. I think it's a little more challenging than I would like at times. Uh, but like the 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 flight mechanics the way the plane feels to fly was a lot of fun and really really unique hmm. um i know you guys uh, uh listed off some games at the beginning that you felt like this felt like but i i personally had not really played anything 
that felt exactly like this game. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, you were explaining earlier the the freedom of the the thrust and how you can kind of like let go and spin your plane in a full 360 degree. So it'd be uh, really fun. You have somebody on your tail. You can let go a thrust flip your plane entirely 180 and just be flying backwards, shooting the the plane that's uh, been mm-hmm. right on your tail. And then you can just whip back around or go, now start going in that direction. That freedom of movement felt great. And the gravity element to it, actually, I kind of liked that. It made it it's sort of this push-pull where you're playing with, uh, you, know, you can actually purposefully let yourself drop down to, to maneuver around uh, missiles or or whatever it is. I just, I really felt great flying the plane and I liked how they added uh, things that changed it, but nothing so dramatic. I'll also say uh, if you turn off the autopilot thing that makes you not crash into the ground, uh, be prepared to crash into the ground like eight times <laughs> until you, before you get used to it. It took me a little while to remember that I had turned that thing off and you will just... Like it, it is a very smooth animation when it does it for you. So whenever uh, you turn it off, you're just like really anticipating this really smooth animation that sort of bounces you back up into the sky. And when you just, there's no resistance, you just crash right into the ground. Uh, it's pretty surprising and took me a while to get used to still. So I haven't played a whole lot of games that do control a lot like this, but what it is is very similar to a genre of game that I absolutely adore, which is the dual stick shooter. This is more of a directional shooter where, or a a multi-directional shooter where you can turn and and change your facing. Um, You can't constantly fly the jet backwards and circle strafe. And having that limitation makes it in some ways a little, a little more interesting. Um, So this is a kind of control scheme and, uh, way of playing games that I, I would like to see more of. I, I think it's uncommon, but maybe it just needs that one breakout game. You know, you mentioned the control scheme. There's actually several options for that. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, one is that the default controls are basically what I think all of us played with on the Switch, which is that you point your uh, your left stick in the direction that you want to face the plane. But if you prefer, they have an option that's called arcade style controls, which lets you basically have a button or direction on the, the stick to go clockwise and another for counterclockwise. So the uh, the advantage there is that you get this very direct, like I want to turn my ship left or right. You know, there's no question on, you know, if, if I stick my stick in a particular direction, which direction clockwise or counterclockwise is my ship going to be rotating. Um, but the, you know, the disadvantage, I guess, is that like you're, it's, it feels a little less direct, um, but it felt very arcadey to me, hence the name, I suppose. Um, and I actually played with that, uh, that control scheme for the first several levels because I thought I might prefer it, but I ended up going back. Um, and on PC, this game is out on Switch, but also on Steam. Uh, on PC, you can aim with the mouse, which I think would be a totally different experience, and I'm really curious to try. Um, so, like, you literally have, like, you know, you can, I think, pretty much freely put, point your mouse in the direction that you want the plane to be facing, and then, it, it you know, it, it faces your your mouse cursor, essentially. Um, 
I think that that would be a really different way to go. I could see it being faster. Like I'm not exactly sure how the game handles the mouse controls, but I could see it being a lot, a lot faster to switch from pointing to the left to pointing to the right. If all that means is sort of dragging a cursor across the screen instead of, you know, uh, uh, you know, moving the analog stick and waiting for the plane to execute a turn. Um, so I'm not hundred percent sure how that works, but it seems really interesting to me that this game has so many potential uh, control schemes. And also it has a lot of options for uh, difficulty uh, you know, adjustments. So if you happen to want to switch it to like a, uh, it has a, has a full accessibility menu, you can turn invincibility on and off if you just want to sort of fly around and shoot things without worrying about dying. Um, but it also, in addition to just regular invincibility, it has an option to set the damage to 50%, which is, you know, I think a, a pretty nice approach. Um, it has an option to increase the evade window. So like if you're getting shot at and you want you know, and you want to do a dodge, you know, you can increase the amount of time that that dodge roll is effective for. Um, you, one interesting thing is that you can change almost all of the things that require holding a button down in the game. Like for example, firing your minigun, uh, your, you know, your, your machine gun, um, rather than holding the button down, you can change it to be a toggle. So you press and it starts firing on auto and then you press it again to turn it off, or you can do the same thing with thrust. Um, so those are all, I think, pretty important accessibility options, both from a uh, from a you know potentially people who might have uh, you know, manual dexterity problems, uh, but also just from like a game design like ease of use. You know, when I got to that level where I was really really stuck for a while, if I had known that there was not a patch coming, I would have turned the difficulty to half, no question, and would have continued through the game and would have been glad that option existed for me. And I, I messed around with the option to turn the gun to a toggle instead of to holding a button down. Cause there were a couple of times when my hands got tired and I switched it to use a toggle for a while. And then I switched it back later. Um, so I really appreciated those accessibility options and that they were really clearly and easily displayed. And they have some other options too, like turning off strobing effects or screen shake that are also potentially important for folks with different needs. So I, I really appreciated that that stuff was all there and it doesn't require, for example, like resetting your game to do it. You can even change most of that stuff while you're in a level. Yeah, I didn't play around with that very much, though, as you list some of those things out. I'm like, oh, that would have been nice, except for the level where you can't make too much noise. So mm. don't turn on the uh, the toggle your gun on and off switch when uh, you can't fire your weapon for more than like three seconds at a time. That level was very weird. Not my favorite. I could see why they went with that. Like, you know, they're trying to find every potential, uh, like variation on the basic gameplay. And some of those variations were very creative and cool, but like that one, eh, I could, I could have gone without that one. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is a good, a good example of the creativity in the level design here. That one thing I will say for this game is that basically no two levels have identical goals mm-hmm. there there are a lot of different things that they throw up in your in your way and so yeah there's a lot of variation now that doesn't mean that i liked all the levels but they were all pretty unique yeah i also want to talk a little bit about the music of the game which i thought really ruled um and really chain this game could have had a lot of different sort of vibes you know what i mean like it could have felt a lot of different ways but the the fact that they took this game that, you know, very similar to left trousers that had this like drum beating military music, drab graphics, intentionally drab and sort of not Nazi iconography. And they splashed it with like bright blues and hot pinks 
and they gave it a soundtrack that sounds a little bit like I'm not exactly sure how to describe the sort of main theme. It's kind of like a uh, like a chiptune inflected rock kind of thing. I think that's a good description, honestly. Um, it, it's very fast-paced. Uh, it, it fits for a jet-fighting game, you know? Um, I, I don't know if I have a better way to describe it than that, but I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack as well. Yeah, it's very guitar-forward, which is not something that you yeah. get in a lot of these sorts of things. Um, and it feels like uh, like really electric guitar-y. Um, one thing that I noticed about it uh, that I uh, wasn't sure about at first, but then kind of confirmed by there's a there's an interview with uh, the the musician that or musicians group I guess that the duo that did the music for this are called Fat Bard. Uh, they've done a number of soundtracks, and uh, looking at their website, they've done things like uh, the soundtrack to Battle Chef Brigade, Crash Lands, Levelhead, which is pretty recent and looks cool. Um, but uh, this game, they went for this sort of like. Uh, this rockin' guitar kind of vibe with a little bit of a background of chiptune synth. But then there are times when the chiptune comes to the foreground. So they have these sort of two versions of most of the songs. And from what I understand, it's like uh, when you're you're taking damage, maybe, or when you've, like, received a bunch of damage, and then also uh, when the boss fires those big um, screen-clearing, like... With, you know, any of the bosses, they all have these big screen clearing things where the the the, um, the game goes totally black and white, uh, and uh, mostly at that point you just hope to survive and not get hit by massive lasers. Uh, and whenever the game does those sort of massive screen clearing things, uh, it also does the switch from the sort of more uh, electric guitar to the more uh, chip tune style. And I thought that was really cool and effective. I I really enjoy the music to this. I, I could have used slightly more music. You know, there there is uh, maybe I don't know. Uh, looking at the soundtrack here, oh, there's more tracks than I would have expected. Um, but it, I definitely felt like there were some places in the game where, like, oh, I've heard this song a lot now. I, I can maybe use something different. Um, there are 14 songs in the soundtrack, so maybe uh, maybe I just wasn't hearing some of them or something. But um, yeah, I, overall, I would say music did a lot for this game. Yeah, which you would hope. It's hard, you know. You'd hope the music would really help. Uh, fuel the game and uh, they did a great job mm-hmm. so definitely recommend checking this game out this is jet lancer it is available on the nintendo switch and also on steam for windows and mac and i believe it's msrp 20 bucks and i think it's definitely worth that uh, i played it for just under 10 hours by the time i beat it and uh, i may jump back in and do more levels and try and play through some of the new game plus yeah i i even though I found it, you know, still pretty challenging at times. I really enjoyed this game. It feels great. Uh, and if, and again, I've not played much else like this. So uh, if this sounds fun to you, I definitely recommend picking it up. I dropped this game about two thirds of the way through and I never looked back. I am. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear it. I know Shane had a little bit of a harder time with some of those mid game levels. Uh, and uh, that's no fun. By the way, I just said it was fit uh, $20 and I was wrong. It is $14.99 on both of those stores. So um, I would definitely recommend it. And uh, you know, if, if particularly if you're not uh, deterred by challenging 2d uh, like flight shooting, shoot flighty, um, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely a hard one. So prepare yourself for that. 
and uh, and hope you enjoy it if you decide to play it. Oh, and you know what? One last thing. We didn't talk about the bosses. They, I won't, I won't uh, make a ton of... Uh, I don't have a ton to say about them other than that the bosses in this game are really good. Uh, there are uh, several different, very, very different styles of bosses. Things like big ground-based tanks, massive uh, mechanical uh, snakes, giant walking robots, giant hovering robots, etc. And Every single boss was pretty unique, and I had to take slightly different approaches to each of them. And I would say all of the bosses were really great and fun. 100% enjoyed all of them. Yeah, that's a good call out. That's a good call out. The bosses were often the uh, where you would feel the most badass while playing this game. Yeah, totally. So uh, you can check it out on all those platforms. So it's been a little while since we did one of these, uh, but I'll bring back our classic segment What's making us happy this week? So Shane, what's making you happy this week? What is making me happy this week is going back and replaying Hollow Knight. Ooh. We covered Hollow Knight all the way back, I think when it launched on Switch, which was like 2017. And um, I got like very close to the end of that game and didn't finish it because I like to play a bunch of new stuff all the time for the show, but they're getting ready to release the new game from team cherry. It's called silk song, which Mm -hmm. is a, um, uh, a sequel to hollow Knight, maybe a prequel. I haven't really figured out that much about it. Um, They did a really wonderful job with hollow Knight, continuing to add, content and refine the game over time. Um, So now that I've come back to the game, I started by just starting a fresh save and playing through the intro section to that game again. And it still, I maintain, has one of the best openings of any of these Metroidvania style games. It Mm -hmm. really gives you um, a really interesting world to explore and they don't um, signpost it too much. There's different ways you can do it. And so after about 10 hours in the game, I was in an area that I had never touched in my first playthrough that I spent over 40 or 50 hours in. Wow. So so that part is just wonderful. Uh, Once I did start kind of getting back onto some of the main quest line where I was realizing, oh, you know, maybe maybe I'll just go ahead. I did jump back into my original save, which was a really nice way to just felt like hitting jump ahead, uh, hitting fast forward. Uh, and now I'm, I'm back on, um, on the main quest. Uh, I'm closing on in on the ending of the game. And I'm also exploring some of these new areas that they've added since I, uh, since I played it last, I think, um, right when we played it, they had just added a, a thing called the grim troop, which was like a, like a circus that comes to town in the game. <laughs> um, but th- they've also added something called, the I want to get this right godmaster update which adds this kind of outside force that has come to the hollow nest and uh, has kind of been drawn by the power that still lingers there and is is looking at it as a a, a, a possible I think this actually adds another ending where you can kind of side with this new outside force that's come to to kind of hunt down the gods of hollow nest so all of that stuff, really, really good, uh, really great game. It's fun to be in one of these kinds of games and continue to just unlock and find 
new areas and new stuff everywhere you look, which is the constant experience of this game. It's such it's such a great place to explore. I'm also getting really back into the lore of Hollow Knight, which it's I don't have time to explain think, here. Right? Like I but it's there's a lot more going on in Hollow Knight than you might think. There's a lot of open questions, but also the thing that I'm really coming to like about it is when you compare it to some of these games that are also inspired by Dark Souls and have this kind of, you know, uh, bleak world full of chuckling NPCs. Um, Hollow Knight's NPCs and, you know, signposts and notes left around are pleasantly plain spoken. They tell you mostly what they mean and they don't just sit there chuckling grimly. So, um, <laughs> with a few exceptions. So, the, the NPCs are just one of my favorite things as well. So that's nice. pretty much what's making me happy this week, going back to Hollow Knight. That's great. That's awesome. I uh, I have not played that game. I don't think we actually covered it for the show, uh, because as you pointed out, it's like Did a we for real hour. not? No. Well, I mean, it's, it's not too long. Long. You're the, It's too long. We've talked about yeah. it a zillion times in various places yeah. on the show, but it's also like that that's an extremely long game. It just never really made sense to do an episode <laughs> yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it probably at least another 10 hours in it, and I'm... 50 hours into my one playthrough and then I doubled up and played another playthrough for 10. So yeah, yeah I almost always have at least like one game that I'm slowly chipping away at in the background of mm. the games that we cover for this show. Same here. And I'm a, I, I think I'm about to pick up uh hollow Knight. I think it's, I think it might be my next one, uh, which I'm excited to finally dig in. Cause it sounds right up my alley. It's time that game rules. I'll say the the thing that I have that's making me happy this week. Uh, I mean, there's a few, and I could probably pick from a number of things. But um, the the one thing that's probably my big project right now uh, that I'm kind of excited about is, uh, and this forgive me, this is a pretty nerdy one. Is that uh, back when I was 17, I had this CRT monitor from Apple that I really loved, and it eventually broke, and I found a new one. And I want to describe it for you real quick because I think it's a really cool thing. Uh, this being a uh, non yeah, you need to Google medium. a picture of this thing. Uh, that's going to be tricky. I'll try and put it as the podcast art for you know the the section. But um, basically, uh, Apple, uh, the very last CRT monitor they ever made was one of the most cool looking industrial design things you've ever seen. It is an entirely clear acrylic CRT where you can look inside and see all of the little pieces and the way it was designed was really unique rather than having a bunch of bits all over the place it's designed as this little flat black pcb with all the parts coming up out of it like a little city Uh, and it just looks really really awesome and uh, i've always wanted to get another one Uh, it's just the most incredible looking thing and i finally found one out of the blue randomly on facebook marketplace Uh, and i didn't know if it would work but i brought it home and it did got it for 20 bucks which is a steal uh, and right now I'm in, I'm working on building a custom adapter for it. The unfortunate thing about this particular monitor is that it was designed at a period when Apple was using a custom connector for their video devices called the ADC connector, the Apple Display Connector, the uh, uh, redundant connector name. And the ADC connector uh, is incredibly annoying because it's like a DVI connector, but it also carries VGA and USB and power. So if you want to put this thing connected to anything other than a retro Mac from the like, uh, like, I don't know when the G4s and G5s were coming out exactly. But anyway, from that era, if you want to plug them into anything else, you have to build a custom adapter for it or, uh, well, depends on what you're doing. But in any case, I need a custom one. So it's, uh, uh, 
uh, it's a weird project, uh, but I'm kind of excited to connect this like really nostalgic, very cool looking monitor that I've finally just gotten another one of up to more modern things. I'm quite excited about it. I know that's very nerdy, but that's one of the things that's making me happy this week. What about you, Nate? What's making you happy? Yeah, that that's awesome. I've been enjoying seeing the pictures. Uh, so what's making me happy this weekend has been making me happy now for several weeks. Uh, I think I've talked about it on this show from time to time, but playing poker both online and real mm-hmm. uh, has been something that is something I've has been a big part of my life for a very long time. And because of, you know, everybody sitting at home, uh, and staying home, we have started uh, a little while ago a home game online using this really silly app called Poker Two. It's poker with like four R's, and <laughs> okay, uh, it's it's really strange. It's this like all decked out to be like you're a secret agent and you know like bluffing is a big part of being a secret agent it's this whole stupid uh poker game but what's ridiculous about it is that it has this really easy to use uh way of hosting a game using play money and that really allows you to define the rules how you'd like them to be so all all across the the world people have realized that this really crummy strange little poker app that was really probably made uh you know just to for people to get on and play against the computers and whatnot is being used to host home games uh and so we basically set the rules everyone buys in and then we use like cash app or or something to uh to actually exchange the real money Hmm. and we've been doing uh sit on a zoom call and play on this really goofy little poker game. Uh, and we've been playing poker uh, once a week now for quite a while and it's been a ton of fun. Uh, hmm. and it, you know, it, and so I, it's just been, it's been great to, uh, to stay connected with some people that I actually had not really been connected with before, uh, very often. So now I'm hanging out with these people every week and playing cards with my friends when I can't do it, uh, in, you know, in, in person anymore. Uh, so it's, it's been great, and it's also just silly to to open up this like secret agent themed poker game uh, <laughs> and play it with my friends every week. That's pretty cool. I'll try to have a link to the sh- link to that game in the show notes for folks who might want to check it out and play their own uh, at home remote over Zoom or whatever poker game because that seems like a kind of a tricky thing to make work. So if there's a good solution for it, I think there might be people out there looking for it. Yeah, it's surprisingly how it's surprising how easy it works. It it you, we've been doing it for weeks now and have had no issues. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much to all of my co-hosts here and to all of our listeners out there for joining us on this episode of the Short Game. I'll also specifically call out uh, some of our patrons. Uh, if you didn't catch the beginning of the show, we are supported by our listeners on Patreon. And every one of our patrons at even a dollar a month or or any amount uh, gets immediate access to our Discord, where we talk about the games that we're playing. We uh, We shoot the shit about whatever else is going on in our lives. We're actually working on 
uh, preparing to play a game together on our Discord. Uh, in that bundle, there was a game called This Discord Has Ghosts in It, which is a sort of a, a role-playing game slash mystery ghost game that you are uh, you play. I really don't understand what it is, and I don't need to. I'm looking forward to playing it. I'm looking forward to it, too. You, you play it on a Discord, and so we're going to be playing that. Uh, it's going to be run by uh, by our patron, uh, Abram. So uh, thanks to Abram. And I'll go ahead and call out some, some patrons to thank this week. Uh, and apparently I just alphabetized this list. I didn't realize. So uh, Abram, Simons, Aiden, Hanlon, Andrew, Epic, and Andrew Foy. We have two Andrews there. Thank you so much. Uh, to all of those A names, uh, and uh, we appreciate your uh, supporting us on patreon.com slash the short game. You can also uh, find us on the internet, www.theshortgame.net. There's a contact form there if you want to get in touch that way. Uh, or you can find us on Twitter at underscore short game. You can find me on Twitter as well at Reagan K. That's R A Y G A N K. Uh, Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. I would also like to call someone out whose name begins with an A. Andes the guy left us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, subject, the best kind of games. Well, Andes, you're the best kind of guy. Thank you for the review. Said some very nice things. Uh, it, it's a great way to support the show. Helps us show up in search engines and whatnot. So thank you, Andes, and to anyone else who's left us a review. And if you have not, we really appreciate it. Yes, thanks very much. And uh, thank you to everyone who listens to The Short Game. <laughs>